0: Romans 14 is where we're gonna be today. Uh, If you wanna go, if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it to Romans 14. I'm gonna finish up where Ebony left off last Sunday, and then we're gonna move into the first seven verses of Romans 15, and we're only one week away from wrapping this series up. This has been a 16 week journey that we've gone through the book of Romans. We started this, this the second Sunday of fall break, and so it's probably the longest series I've done in a long time, and that's still short for Romans. Cause it's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff in Romans, and so we've been going through it a chapter at a time, basically, and, uh, but we'll wrap that up next Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, I'm starting a new series called Reconstructing, and I don't know if you're familiar with the term deconstructing or, or deconstruction, or you've heard that talked about. Uh, it's a new term to describe a very old practice. As we grow up, people who grew up in the church, uh, folks like me, as we grow up and become adults, we, sometimes we question our faith, or we question certain parts of our faith, or we have doubts about our faith, or in some cases, uh, people abandon the faith altogether, and uh, the, the term for that now is deconstructing or deconstruction, and uh, we're going to talk about why that is, like why do people do that, what, what cultural parts uh, has a part of that, what, what, what does the church own that's a part of that, uh, And then we're also going to talk about how do we reconstruct good faith or healthy faith. And so that will start on January 29th, and that's our our winter slash spring group season. It kicks off on January 29th. So we'll start producing the uh, the sermon discussion guides again, and we'll ask everybody that's in a group to go through this with us. So I'll talk about it on Sunday morning. Then the groups will have some discussion questions that they can dive just a little bit deeper into the topics on uh, Sunday afternoons or Wednesdays. And uh, if you are not in a group, we're encouraging you to sign up for a group right now. Sign up opens uh, last Sunday. They go through today. Next Sunday, we'll still have some sign-ups open. Uh, Tim ended up being sick today, so he's not here. I was going to point Tim out to you so you could go talk to him if you needed some help finding a group. But you can go to murrayhills.com forward slash groups, and you'll see all of our community groups. You'll see our short-term groups. And you click find a group and you just look for the one that, that works best for you. Some of them meet at lunch on Sundays. Uh, some of them meet Sunday afternoons. Some of them meet during the week. We got three groups at least that meet on Wednesday nights. There's a men's group. There's a women's group. There's uh, family groups. Some of them are meeting weekly. Some of them meet every other week. Some of them meet monthly. You just find the group that works for you. We got 21 different options for you. And about 80% of our in person attendance are active in a group right now. So if you're in that 20%, we wanna get you active in a group right now. And we do have some good short-term groups coming up as well. Uh, Jim, uh, Chatham's starting one uh, the 19th, which is what, Tuesday, Thursday? I, my, I can't think that quickly when I'm standing up here. Uh, but it's this week. And it's on science and the Bible, if you're interested in that topic. And uh, then there's another one starting up next Sunday on surviving the storms of life. And so and then we've got Todd's going to be doing one about parenting teenagers uh, sometime in the spring. So our group season runs from January 29th to mid-May. We go with the school year. And so if you are interested in a group, that's how you sign up for one. If you look at all those 21 different options and go, you know, none of those really fit for me you can start your own group. Uh, we do we do like you, we've had people start groups uh last fall and they were just like, "Hey, we've got a group of friends or we got some neighbors or I got some coworkers and I would love to just start a group with them. How do I do that? What what does that look like?" And just email Tim and he'll step you through the process of starting a group. So, um Romans 14. Let's let's take a look at our text today. I'm actually going to recover some of the ground that Ebony covered uh last Sunday and she did a great job covering it, but you heard her say this is my favorite passage, so I, I, I want to spend a little bit more time going back to, to some of the verses that she looked at. Also because uh, these, this verse is about getting along together, and if there's anybody that needs help getting along together, it's, it's Christians. Um, we, we love to fuss, and we love to fight, and uh, you see that playing out on social media. You see that playing out. Uh, in denominations. You see that playing out in churches. We fuss about politics. We fuss about doctrine. Uh, we especially love to fuss about worship. Um, there's, there's all kinds, of, they, they even call it worship wars, if you will. So uh, we fuss about stuff going on in culture. They're, they're just, if you're a believer, there's always something to fuss about, it seems like. And, and it used to be that those things only took place inside of churches. So if you were inside of a church, you knew about the squabbles going on inside of that church. But pretty much nobody else knew about it. But with social media, uh, everybody gets to know about it now. Because you see the fights playing out all across social media. And one of them played out uh, the week before Christmas. And I, I didn't even catch it. I just barely caught the tail end of the fight. And... Uh, It was about Christmas services, what you're going to do with Christmas Day. Because last year, Christmas Day fell on a Sunday. And so churches had to decide, well, what are we going to do since Christmas Day fell on a Sunday? Now, pre-pandemic, it wouldn't have been an issue. Everybody would have just had services like they always do on a Sunday. But post-pandemic, churches have figured out, you know, we could do some things a little bit differently here. And so there were churches that said, well, we're going to have Christmas Eve services. So are we going to have Christmas Eve services and then turn around and say, hey, 10 hours later or 12 hours later we want you to come back for Christmas Day services or we just maybe make Christmas Eve the emphasis? And there were other churches that were like, we're, just, we're going to have both or some said we're not going to do Christmas Eve and we're going to do Christmas Day. So all churches, their leadership had to make a decision and ours did too. We had to come together and go, what are we going to do on Christmas Day? How are we going to handle that? And um, so churches made decisions and they communicated that to their members. End of story. Each individual church can do whatever they want with Christmas Day services on a Sunday, right? <laughs> not in the age of Facebook. That's not the end of the story. There were some Christians that were ag- like, I can't believe you would cancel services on, on a Sunday. I mean, on, a, on Christmas Day, you would cancel services. Are you saying that the family is more important than the church? You saying that this holiday is more important than the body of God, and I mean, there was, and then there were others that were aghast that you would have services. On Christmas Day. I can't believe you're having your service on Christmas Day. You're going you're gonna to make people feel guilty about not coming to church on Christmas morning. Are you saying that the offering is more important than the family? Are you saying that attendance in a building is more important than being with? And that fight played out over Facebook. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know if you shared anything. If you did share anything, I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm, I'm not at all. But it played out the way that fights always play out on social media. We share competing memes, we find a pastor that agrees with us and share his blog post, or we find a, a reel that we like or you know, and, and share that video or whatever. And, that, and it was this big fuss that happened over Christmas Day services. And I got to thinking about it in the context of Roman 14 and thought, I wonder what Paul would say to us about this little scuffle we have about whether or not we should have services on Christmas Day. And I think he would say something along the lines of, accept one another without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them not to have services on Christmas Day. Another person's faith does not allow them to do so. The one who cancels services must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not cancel services must not judge the one who does. For each is not accountable to what the other thinks but is only accountable to God alone. So why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you show contempt by posting about it on Facebook? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. Please stop passing judgment on one another and make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Um, that's a very loose paraphrase of, of Romans 14. Okay, that's, uh, and I, I think that's kind of, to, to bring it forward into today, the there was a fuss going on in Rome. Not over Christmas Day services, because they would not have been familiar with Christmas, which is a sermon for another time. But uh, So they weren't fussing about Christmas Day services, but they were fussing about eating meat and Holy Days. And uh, it was apparently a fairly... Big fuss that was going on within the church. And so Paul writes this particular part of the letter. He waits to the end of the letter. He does all his theology. He, does all his pra- he talks about sanctification and salvation. At the end of the letter, he's kind of like, now let me, let me address a couple of practical considerations here. And this practical consideration is there, there's two groups in the Roman church. There's, there's Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And the Roman church was unique in that the Gentile believers made up the majority of the church. So a lot of the early, early churches were primarily Jewish because it came from within the Jewish uh, faith. And so the, the, the Gentile believers made up the majority of the church. Jewish believers were in the minority of the church. And within those two groups, there was what Paul calls weak and strong brethren. And those, those terms are confusing. And uh, Ebony was right last Sunday, we tend to see that the opposite of how Paul would have seen it. So we would say that um, weak brethren would be those who take more freedoms and those who exercise more liberty would be weak, and strong would be those that are much more committed to the rules and and much more obedient and and very strict in their observance of the faith. Paul flips those terms around, and he says the the weak brethren are the most likely Jewish brethren— they're the weak brethren who can't uh, give up the old law. They, they've been observing you know, the old law for so long that even though they're not required to observe the old law anymore, they just can't give up the practice. And so they continue to have an issue with what I think is going on here, eating meat, sacrificed to idols, and, and observing the Sabbath. So they continue to have an issue with those things, and they just can't, they can't seem to give that up. Uh, Strong brethren would be the Gentile believers and some Jewish believers, because you remember Paul was a Jewish believer and he's in the the camp of the the strong brethren. That would say you don't have to do that anymore. We're we're free from those things. And so they would the the weaker brethren might show contempt for the strong brethren to say they're they're just so frivolous about God's laws and they just do whatever they want and they take all these freedoms with God's laws and you know where's the commitment and and the Where's the consistency in their faith? And the stronger brethren might have looked down on the weaker ones. Like, I can't believe they continue to live in the old ways when the new ways have come. Why would we keep living in the old ways when the new ways have come? And so they were constantly criticizing and condemning one another. And Paul encourages them to have an attitude of tolerance towards one another and to have an attitude of of acceptance, to mutual edification towards one another. And he breaks the argument down into three parts. And I'm not going to read all of it because it's a long text, but... The first 12 verses, and Ebony covered most of this last Sunday, is uh, he rebukes the two groups for looking down on each other. And he, and he starts out with that, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over uh, disputable matters. But he's really addressing both the strong and the weak in the first 12 verses. And he basically says, you don't answer to each other, you answer to God alone. So to each person must answer to God alone. So don't, don't divide the body over disputable matters, except one another and don't stop judging stop looking down stop showing contempt they have to answer to god you have to answer to god kind of kind of like a worry about yourself is 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 the first 12 verses then the second section verses 13 through 23 he urges the strong in faith he starts that one with a uh, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So, in the first half, he kind of addresses both the weak and the strong brethren. In the second part of that passage, he addresses the strong brethren specifically, which he is a part of. And he addresses them specifically and says you need to act out in love towards your brother and sister and don't selfishly insist on doing what you're free to do. So he basically says, I agree with your position. I don't think this is an issue anymore. I, I don't think eating meat is an issue anymore. I don't think observing the Sabbath is an issue anymore. I agree with you. But in the interest of your brother and sister, um, don't insist on doing it your way. Like uh, you, should, you should yield to your brother and sister in the same way that Christ yielded. You know? So you should she'll kind of show the sacrificial love um, of christ and you know why he put the emphasis the burden is on the strong why he put the emphasis on there um, they were the majority of the church so it could be a concern for the the minority he wants to, them to fill a part of the church so he puts that emphasis on there uh, it could be that paul was just a part of that group or it could be that he wants to give the jewish believers more time but, I mean, this is, this is a significant change that they've gone through. It was a major, major deal in the book of Acts about whether or not you still had to observe the law of Moses in order to be a Christian. And uh, he he knew that they needed some time to adjust to that way of thinking and to adjust this this new way that's coming. I don't know why, but he does put the burden on the strong. And uh, then in, in chapters 15, or fifteen one through 7, that last section there, he calls on both of them... To follow Christ's example of loving service and to be willing to make sacrifices for the good of the whole body. So both groups, he call, he points back. He ends the section by pointing back to Christ and say, "Act in the way of Christ towards your brother and sister in these matters." the The bookends of each of those sections really, really kind of drive home the point. Uh, he begins the whole section. If you throw that up for me, Parker, verses one through three, I think it is. He says, "Accept one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters." One's person faith allows them to eat everything, anything, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not... This is the key verse right here. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. So the one who, who believes you have the freedom to do these things must not treat with contempt those that don't believe you have the freedom to do it. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And then he ends the whole section, uh, Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 5. I think it is, yeah. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. But the, the key to understand the whole text, the thesis, takes place right in the middle, and it's Romans chapter 14, verse 19. And it's this one right here. I think this is the key instruction to the whole thing. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's what he's calling them to do. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Now, can you imagine what would happen if every church adopted that attitude towards other churches? All right, let's, let's just whatever leads to peace and mutual education Let's 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 try to let's just try to get along together. Whatever you know, if, if your church decided not to have services on Christmas uh, Christmas morning, that's fine. Uh, if your church decided to have them on Christmas morning, that's fine. If your church is, uses drums that 's fine if they don 't that 's fine you know if you If you cage your drums that 's fine uh, if you don 't that 's fine you know if, if you guys are all just waving hands the whole time that 's fine if that 's the way you worship. If you guys are, are a little bit more reserved and contemplative that 's fine you know we 're not going to divide the church over disputable matters. If your preacher gets up and yells and stomps and hits the pulpit that 's fine. Uh, if your preacher sits on a stool like he can't stand for 20 minutes. That's fine. Um, you know, like what, what if we just didn't fuss over the little stuff? And we it just, we didn't, we, like what would the, how would that change the church's perception of the world? What if the Southern Baptist Convention got together this summer and they just didn't fuss? <laughs> Like, we wouldn't know, like, nobody know what to write about. Like, what do we write about? I have no idea what to write about. They're not fussing about anything. They, they're just treating these, or what if the United Methodists were united? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, like, what if any of that? And I say that, no, my family comes from United Methodist background, and my cousin... As a United Methodist pastor, and I'll, we always talk, I'm like, so what's going on with y'all? Nothing? Everybody's smooth? Everybody getting along? And he's like, oh yeah, everybody, no breakaway groups, no new denominations, nothing going on here. Everything going on good in your place? You know, it, every church does it, and every denomination does it. What if as Christians we, we took that attitude with one another? And you read this, you like, you read verse 19 and go, this is so easy. Isn't it? I mean, is it like that's the? Let's just do whatever leads to peace and mutual edification. This is easy. This is easy. If if it wasn't for uh, envy, jealousy, pride, selfishness, self righteousness, um, if it wasn't that whenever I I have a different opinion than your opinion, I feel like I need to prove me right and you wrong. Um, Or I I need to kind of look down on your opinion and go, "Mm, I can't believe you still believe that. You know, or I have to, you know, if it it wasn't for human sinfulness, this would be easy. This would—I mean, that's the—that's the only problem I have with Paul's instruction here. Like, if we weren't sinful, I think we'd have an easy time doing this. Um, But that's exactly why Paul writes it. Paul writes it because he knows we're sinful. And if you follow the New Testament, you know that this is a pretty big theme throughout the New Testament. And I think there's two reasons why. One, every church in the New Testament struggled with this. Just about. I don't want to say every, but just about. Like you read through the letter. you know, In Acts, we know that it didn't take very long. Right after the church formed, it didn't take very long for them to find something to fuss about. And so there was this, you know, let's, let's show grace to one another. Acts chapter 15. Uh, the 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul spends a ton of the time in those letters saying, you guys got to get along together. Y'all got to stop fussing about this stuff and get along together. Because one of you is saying you follow Apollos, and one saying you follow Paul, and one saying you follow Cephas. Come on, guys. This is not about, this is not about personalities and pastors and leaders. This is, this is about Christ. And then you look in Philippians, he addresses it. In Ephesians, he addresses it. In Romans, he addresses it. I mean, all, like on all these New Testament letters, they're always addressing getting along together. Which tells you that it's, it, it's a human sin. It's a human condition. Churches have always struggled to get along together. Um, but I think the other reason that it gets addressed so much is because it's important. Because God obviously feels that this is important. And one of the things that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross was... That that we would all be one. I pray that I pray that my disciples would be one, and I pray that everybody who would believe in me on the based on the word of my disciples would be one. And he and he prays this so that you know the name of God may be glorified, and more people may come to the faith. And so it's it's pretty important for us to do whatever leads to peace and mutual edification. And uh, the emphasis, if you go through this this text, there's several. <laughs> And I don't know where you put yourself. None of us, we always want to put ourselves in the strong position. Like, any time we got to choose between, are we in the weak group or the strong group? Well, we're all in the strong group. Okay. Well, if we're all in the strong group, then uh, the, the burden is on us. Because he, he says, verse 13, um, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Uh, verse 16, uh, therefore do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because I mean, he's talking to these these Gentile believers and some Jewish believers who who thought they were free not to observe the old law. And he says, "Don't you know you're freed? It I agree with you, but don't let that don't let that be spoken of as evil. You're dividing the church over this, and you shouldn't. Uh, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble." Verse 22, so this one's interesting. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Uh, 15, 1 and 2, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. One of the things you'll discover about Paul is he's very pragmatic. And, uh, he, and that's, this is a, a great example of this. Uh, I think he is calling for peace and mutual edification. He does put the burden on the strong. But there's some things that is happening in this passage that, where it's been abused in the past that I don't think he's saying. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Maybe not examples, but I'll mention them. Um, I don't think he's saying, as the way this passage has been used by some people, is to control another group of people. And so the, this, the the stumbling block is the big one. You heard me read stumbling block. Some of you grew up in churches that like to quote that verse. You know, And what it is, is anytime the church wanted to make a change in anything, somebody would say, yes, but we shouldn't put a stumbling block in the way of our brother or sister. Romans 14, we shouldn't put a stumbling block in the way of our brother or sister. And some of the, the brothers and sisters who struggled with the stumbling block used that verse to keep doing things the way they wanted to do it in church. So you know you use that verse as an effort to control other people. And that, that's obviously not what he's talking about. That obviously misses the whole spirit and intention of the passage. The, the peer, spirit of the passage is not an attempt to control other people. The spirit of the passage is not an attempt to get what we want. The spirit of the passage is to yield to one another. I also think that um, these, these weaker brethren in this situation obviously didn't elevate their opinions to the level of gospel because i think paul would have had a very different word for them And what i mean by that was i think that they were saying you know we're not comfortable eating meat and we're not you know we want to observe the sabbath but we're not condemned you know our our gentile brethren that are doing this we don't think they're going to hell because they're doing it we're just saying this is this is my conscience and this is what my faith teaches me but i'm you know I, i think it's firmly in the the realm of tradition or opinion rather than gospel if you're familiar with that you know what i mean like there's In the past, we, or any of us do this, we take a matter of opinion, which is, and say, you have drums and we don't have drums, that's fine. We take a matter of opinion, then we elevate it to gospel, and we make it an issue of salvation or fellowship. Well, I question your salvation because you worship this way. Or I I can't fellowship with you because you worship this way. You know, that, and that's where it becomes wrong. And if you want to know what Paul has to say about that, read the book of Galatians. Because his opinion is very different in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, he says, you're perverting the gospel by doing that. And he, he comes at them very, very hard. So I don't think the Romans are necessarily doing this. I also wonder if this is a, an instruction that was meant to be a permanent situation uh, in the church. And, and this is just an opinion. So is this, But like I think what Paul's doing here is trying to give the, the Jewish brethren some time to become comfortable or get adjusted to this new reality that they're living in, that they're no longer required to observe the law of Moses. And I know this has been a huge part of your family and your faith and your tradition for many, many years, but you're no longer required to, to observe those things anymore. That's, that's, you're free in Christ. And, but he's trying to be patient to give them the time to do that. The reason I think, so in other words, he's not saying, you know, the strong have to, you know, keep your mouth shut the whole time for all of time, and, and don't make any changes because you got some weaker brethren that want to do this. The reason I think that is because we no longer have that issue in the church today. <laughs> because if it had been perpetual for all time, we'd still be fussing with that issue. When, you, when your small groups got together, you'd still have some people in the small group going, now we shouldn't be eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. Um, and, and we can't meet on the Sabbath because the Lord has told us, you know, you'd st- it's not an issue anymore. And so it's not an issue anymore. It tells me that at some time, those, those attitudes and those mindsets uh, changed. And so I think it's, you know, Paul's trying, to, Paul's trying to say, be patient. Be patient with your brothers and sisters. Uh, so, how much time I got left? Well, not a whole lot because I got to introduce some elders to you. I was really scared of this sermon because I didn't know how I was going to end it. Um, I'll, I'll give you let's talk about a couple of practical applications. How do we apply this to today? Well, the Christmas example was one of them. That's that's one of the examples that we could apply to today. Um, the other one I got to thinking about was, uh, Paul actually mentions it here in one of those, in verse 21, he mentions, uh, it's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause your brother or sister to, to fall. And I thought, well, that's that's a good modern day example, if you will, in, in in their day and time, when their small groups got together uh, eating meat, they'd had to figure out like what are we going to serve at the dinner table? Should we serve meat because we got some brethren that probably don't want meat, and we got some brethren that are okay with it, so what should we do? Um, in today's small groups, it might be drinking that's an issue, like you're going to have a cookout together, and your groups like, well, I don't have any trouble." having a beer or wine at that event, and other people in the group might say, well, I, got, I don't know, I'm a little bothered by that. I'm not comfortable with that. Well, what should you do in those situations? Well, if I'm applying Romans 14, I think you yield to your, your brother that doesn't think you're free to do that. I mean, it'd be like, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that goes out to eat and uh, you have a glass of wine with dinner, and that's fine, but you're having a, a fellow Christian come to join you that you know has a problem with that or you know is not comfortable with that, what do you do in that situation? You say, well, I'm going to order a glass of wine and to heck what you think. Because I'm free to do this because the Bible doesn't condemn it. It only condemns drunkenness. Well, well, no, that's not the right spirit. What would you do? I'm I'm not going to order it. In that situation, I'm not going to order it. Because it's it's offensive to my brother and sister. And out of respect for my brother and sister, I'm not going to do it. Let's say you're you're in a conversation with a brother and sister. uh, And this happened to me not that long ago. I met a lady who was, uh, grew up in the Churches of Christ. Well, she was still in the Churches of Christ. And I was like, hey, I grew up in the Churches of Christ. And you know, the church I'm at, we, got, you know, we, we started in the Churches of Christ, and we started talking. And she made some comments about some stuff that I disagree with. She started talking about some stuff that you know, she thought we weren't free to do, and I think we are. And so what, what's the right thing to do in that scenario? This is casual acquaintance we just met, we're just making small talk. What's the right thing to do in that situation? The right thing to do is to say, well, ma'am, you're wrong. And I wrote a book about this, and uh, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And we're gonna, and we just getting this big old argument about it. Well, no. What, what's the right thing to do? Just keep your mouth shut. It's not. It's a disputable matter. We can have a difference of opinion on that. And Paul says it right there. You know, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to. Now, if we're going to go to church together, we might have to talk about it at some point. You know, if if. But but you don't have to always have an opinion about everything. This applies to to, to social media as well. What should you do when you see a fellow Christian post something on social media? That's over a disputable matter that you disagree with. What you know what you're allowed to do is—I'm gonna tell you—this is incredibly freeing. You're allowed to keep scrolling. You you don't—you don't need like you're under no obligation to set them straight. You're under no obligation to tell them how wrong they are and why they're wrong and here's why and here's what my pastor says and here's what the gospel coalition says. And here, You're under no obligation. You can just keep scrolling. You know what? They won't even know you saw the post. They, it's not a conversation. They didn't say this. They didn't say, hey, what's your opinion on this. They just posted it out there. They don't even know that you saw it. You can just keep scrolling. I mean that those are some really simple ways I think that we can practice uh Romans fourteen and fifteen today. And it's just it, it's it's all about how do I interact with people in a way that leads to peace and mutual edification. And I know sometimes you're gonna to have to speak up. I understand that. Sometimes it's gonna be something that you have to address. I get that. But it's it's just it's having this heart and mind of Christ that sometimes it's okay for me to keep my mouth shut. Sometimes it's okay for me not to enter into the debate, even though I think it's okay and you don't think it is okay. That's fine. We can I'm I'm just not gonna enter into the debate. Sometimes it's okay for me to not exercise freedoms that I think I am free to do, but I'm not gonna exercise it. Just out of consideration for my brother and sister who may have a problem with this or may struggle with that. And and that, that's the, the gist of what I think Paul is teaching us here. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But it is simple. <laughs> it's very simple to understand. It's just it's not easy to do because of human sinfulness. So let me say a word of prayer for us. And then we got one more thing to do today. So let me pray. Uh, Father, I'm thankful for this, this teaching. I'm thankful for what we read Uh, in your word, and uh, it is always so challenging to take, I always think the easiest part of of teaching a text is the exegesis, in a sense, because we can understand what Paul meant to them in their day and time, but sometimes pulling that forward is is difficult for us to understand exactly what that looks like, and so I pray that we are always yielding to your spirit, and we're always... uh, trying to, to follow the way of Christ. And when we don't do that, and we, there's times we won't, when we don't do that, please forgive us for those things. And please help us to show grace to our to our brothers and sisters. And uh, we pray that they show grace to us as well. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. All right. See, if your small groups were meeting tonight, you'd have all kind of stuff to talk about. Um, that's just an example of all the good controversy you could get into tonight. Uh, We've got our offering. Is that up there, Parker? Was I supposed to do that? Okay, good. It's right there. There's the offering. Uh, You kind of know how it works. There's all the information. Most of you give electronically, and and that's the information there. If you're given by check, those those boxes that Scott mentioned, you can drop it in there as you leave today. Uh, Step one is coming up, so if you have not signed up for that and you want to sign up for that, that's January 29th after the second service. Just, uh, Mark, I want to learn about becoming a member on the back of that box. And we'll send you a registration link for step one. This is for anybody that wants to know more about Murray Hills. Anybody that wants to be interested in joining Murray Hills. Anybody that's got a bunch of questions for me, I do Q&A in that session as well. Uh, Tomorrow is MLK Day. Some of you may be off work. Um, I would invite you to come out at 9 a.m. tomorrow downtown at the square. We're having a, uh, there's a program and then a march at 9 a.m. And so it'll start uh, right at the, I think it's on the west portico of the courthouse. It'll start right there. And the march goes down past Ted's. Turns left onto East 8th Street and Mount Calvary Missionary Baptist Church is where it ends up. And they got breakfast and refreshments. And so I'd encourage you to come and be a part of that. They've, they've asked me to play a small role in that program. And so uh, I'd love to see some Murray Hills faces there. Last thing we, we need to do today is uh, we want to recognize or let you know about our new elders. But before we do that, I want to recognize the elders that will be um, rolling off. So we, we do our elders in uh, terms. So they serve a three-year term, or they can serve uh, two three-year terms. So they can serve for, for six years. And we've only done that for a few years. So we haven't, this is kind of a new model that, that uh, we begin doing. Some churches may disagree with it. That is, again, a disputable matter. Should your elders serve terms or not serve terms? You know, should they have lifetime appointment? or That's a disputable matter. And I had a conversation about that at a basketball game not too long ago. So just another great example of Romans 14. But our elders serve terms, so they serve for three years, and then they roll off, and we have, we have new guys that roll on. So I want to recognize just some of our guys that are rolling off right now, and I've just got a, a little gift I wanted to give them and, um, and have you thank them for their service to the church. But the first one is uh, Randy Stevens. So Randy, if you wouldn't mind coming up and receiving this, we want to thank you. Thank you so much. Randy and Lisa were original members, were charter members, or I don't know what you call it. But they, they've been here for 21 years, what I'm trying to say. So uh, it, was, it was really neat. And we, it took us, how many times did we ask you to serve as an elder? Four, five, six, we finally got him. And so he, he served a three-year term for us, and we're very thankful for what Randy did. Uh, John is not in this service, I know that because John sits right there where Brad and Peggy sit, but John Carnahan is also rolling off, and so if he's in the second, I'll recognize him there, yep. <laughs> interesting thing, John and his family have also been here for 21 years, but the interesting thing about John is he's our first, uh, second generation elder. His father also served as an elder at this church, so he was our second generation elder. So that means we're growing up as a church. And uh, then my last one I want to recognize is Scott Arnold. And so Scott is, is rolling off this year as well. And Scott, thank you. Uh, Scott has served six years. And uh, I don't think y'all... How long have you been at Murray Hill, Scott? I'll put you on the spot. 2006. And he was baptized here at this church. And so I think that was cool to have him uh, serve as an elder uh, here as well. And he's been, been an honor to serve with these three men. I've got two that I want to introduce to you that are rolling on to the eldership. And then I'm going to ask Scott to pray over them. And I really should have uh, written out their bios because I, I didn't, I, for, I forgot about it until I got here. So I may bounce around a little bit here. But we have two two men that uh, have been meeting with our current elders. They came from nominations that you gave us. Uh, and then they've been meeting with our current elders and processing this and thinking about this and praying about it over uh, the period of the last two to three months. And our first one is uh, Barry Brooks, and uh, you can see his family there, I'm going to go start on the far left there, is his son, Coble, that's his fiance Lydia, and then you've got uh, his daughter, Maddie, and her husband, uh, Colin, and then his wife, Jill, and then his daughter, Colleen, and her husband, Hector, and that's his first grandchild, Selah, on the the far right there. Uh, Barry was born and raised in the Hampshire area, I want to give you just a little bit of information, so in case you don't know these guys, but he was born and raised in Hampshire, graduated from Hampshire High School in 1991, attended Columbia State, uh, met his wife, dated four months in 92, engaged four months, they've been married for 30 years, and uh, he's worked at Farm Bureau, Gaylord, and he's currently working with an ABLE resource group in Brentwood, and they've been here, where were you, Barry? I saw you come in, somewhere. How long y'all been here, Barry? Okay, thirteen years. So, uh, and then our second person we're installing as an in elder day is, is Wayne Goins, and that's his wife uh, Annie Ruth. There, Wayne uh, grew up in Mount Pleasant. He said that should explain the rough edges. It doesn't. I grew up in Hohenwald. Um He graduated from Haylong High School in the class of '64. Served in the United States Air Force. Also attended Columbia State. Um, he's worked for several places, but he retired in 2019. But then his son started a business, uh, Roof Systems. He's got a son, Cody, a daughter-in-law, Sarah, and grandchildren, Jamie, uh, Greer, and Meg. His son started a business, and he's gone back to work part-time that turned into full-time. And uh, so he's, he's doing that uh, with his son, and they began attending Murray Hill's In January of 2019, so they just recently began their their fifth year at Murray Hill. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.